Sue Gabriel tells a beautiful story. Not a brand new story, but it's a beautiful story. And a beautiful lesson. So we're here this morning. We've met in faith. We believe that we're uh, meeting in Jesus' name and God is here with us. Paul, when he was uh, before Felix, defending himself against the charges brought to him by the Jews, he said this in Acts 24, beginning at verse 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. I take great pains and go to great efforts to keep a clear conscience, said Paul. And Paul was an outstanding character. Uh, I enjoy reading about Paul in Acts and, and in his epistles. Just his zealous fervor and love for God and his boldness, uh, his love for souls, his burden for the churches that he ministered to and started. And the way he lived his Christian life uh, before the Lord. I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. That was a, a daily goal in his life. And uh, part of his walk with God, his relationship with God, taking great pain and going to great effort to be aware and uh, listen to and sensitive to his conscience and to keep it clear. On an airplane, there are instruments that uh, guide pilots, and um, they are carefully calibrated and uh, need to be accurate to be helpful, don't they? And they will uh, show. Uh, even on a dark night, or uh, if it's cloudy, whether the airplane's going go this way, or this way, or this way, or if the plane is going down or going up, the instrument does those things. And um, people on pilots on instrument that have instrument ratings and understand how things work, they can fly through the fog, and they can fly in the night. And uh, one time, uh, when I was in service uh, up north, I'd been home for a brief uh, break and uh, was going back and met a friend of mine in Cumberland, Maryland, who was a pilot, and uh, he had rented a small plane. And we were going to start in Cumberland, Maryland, and go to Indiana and pick up some other fellows, and then fly on to Thunder uh, Bay and take the car from there. And we started out about 4 o'clock in the morning, Andy and I, 
and got airborne on a dark night morning, and um, but it was clear. And after a while, he says, "I'm going to take a nap. Would you fly?" And uh, you just look at this instrument here at the turning bank. I'm not sure if that's the right name for it or not, but. Um, you just keep that bar level in there, and if it tips this way, you want to bring it back, and so on like that. And so uh, he leaned over against the window, against the door, and uh, looked like he must sleep. I wonder if he really did. But so he left me to fly the plane, and it really wasn't anything to it. Uh, I barely had to do anything that was. It was trimmed well and was just going along in quiet air. And I could look out and I could see the lights down below. And uh, I could kind of tell, you know, which way the wings were, even if I didn't uh, look at the instrument. But if it had been a cloudy uh, night, I would have had to depend on that instrument. And before very long, you woke up. But anyway, that's a, that's a pretty critical piece of the plane. And I don't know if you remember or not, uh, but a few years back, a few miles south of, of here in Pennsylvania County, there was an inexperienced pilot who did not have an instrument rating, who was from uh, south somewhere. And he took off from an airport, small airport, on a rainy, foggy morning, I suppose he just expected he was soon going to be through the clouds, he'd be able to see, and he'd be fine. But it turned out that uh, it was cloudy and soupy, farther, uh, higher than he expected, and uh, he got confused. And he didn't even know, he got so disoriented, he didn't even know which way was up. And he called um, a uh, air traffic controller and said, I, I'm not sure where I'm, which direction I'm going or, or how this plane is oriented. I don't know what the conversation all was, but that's what they picked up from him. And at one point, uh, somebody on the ground heard an airplane uh, engine at a very high RPM. It was just screaming. And then suddenly it burst below the clouds, headed straight for the ground, and crashed into the ground. And evidently this pilot didn't trust his instruments, uh, didn't use them, just was trying to go by his feelings and how, how it felt to him, but he was so disoriented, he was making bad decisions. And when he broke through the clouds, uh, or when he was able to see that he was headed toward the ground, he apparently pulled back so hard on the controls that the force of it snapped the wings off of the airplane. And when it crashed, it had no wings. And of course, he and his wife, they were the only two on board, I believe, but no one survived. Now, the conscience is kind of an instrument. 
and it's critical for guidance and to uh, help us find safe passage to our destination, our eternal destination, which is heaven. So the conscience is like a part of our, I guess you could say, psychological makeup, an internal standard put there by God, scientists, uh, psychologists who don't believe in God acknowledge that there is something in there like that, and uh, it's probably kind of evolved over the thousands of years as people made rules and sort of learned things about getting along with each other, cultural laws uh, that were developed, that were enforced and passed on. But we know that the conscience is a gift from God. It's from God. In Romans 2, it says in verse 14, the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things of the law. So that's sort of a law to itself, he said there in Romans. It's written in their hearts, he said in verse 15. They're constantly also bearing witness, accusing them or excusing them. So the conscience was part of the creation. Man was created in the image of God. And even with uh, the infection of sin in the fall, man has a sense of some of those qualities of God, of God's nature and character. And they are standards of mercy and justice, that right and wrong, that uh, we just sort of innately have in our uh, conscience. And man is aware of that standard. And when it works, uh, when it sends signals, it's a, it's a response in our mind. It's not just uh, people, not just me thinking through something logically and figuring out something. It's something that's kind of automatically uh, triggered. And when it's in the right order and in good shape, it gives us the best choice. And it troubles us when we violate it, when we go against it. And for that reason, many people have not liked it too much because they want to do something different. Now, the conscience is different from conviction, though it's closely related. Uh, the, Christian, the Christian's conviction is a, it's a firm belief, being convinced that something is right, that something is true, beyond the conscience that is uh, developed from God's Word. That's a Christian conviction. The conscience points us to do what we know is right, to follow our convictions, and it makes us uncomfortable or even miserable 
when we don't. But it's different from conviction. It's not the same as the Holy Spirit. Because even a very simple person has a conscience. At Pentecost, when uh, Peter preached his sermon, it says there in Acts 2 that the Jews listening to that message were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Their conscience had smitten them and had convicted them of their need. The Holy Spirit was at work there too. In Romans 9, 1, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. So there a conscience uh, enlightened by the Holy Spirit was confirming to Paul that, uh, and, and, and through his conscience, that he was on the right course. He felt peace. He felt clear in his conscience and his heart before God. You know that before God and man. But the conscience is not the same as the Holy Spirit. The Spirit uses the conscience. But everyone has a conscience. I remember reading in Peace Child by Don Richardson that the uh, cannibal in New Guinea that he was ministering to, they had to uh, overcome a, uh, uh, a sense of uneasiness about eating other people. I would have uneasiness too. But uh, they, it was something about eating human flesh that bothered them one day when it was new. I mean, when somebody was just getting started on that diet. And uh, they even had a word for it uh, about the uneasiness of eating human flesh. And he said it was the conscience. Another thing to know about the conscience is that it can change. It isn't set. Instruments in an airplane, uh, I'm not sure how they all work today, but I remember a pilot in the bush, they would, before they took off, they would calibrate their instruments, be sure they were right. And uh, remember David, when he was in the cave with Saul, uh, actually a couple of times, but he had cut off the corner of uh, Saul's robe one time, and it says that his heart smote him. His conscience really bothered him that he had been disrespectful to Saul, and that bothered him. But think about Paul, Saul some years later when he had committed that terrible sin with Bathsheba, and he was lying about it and trying to hide it, and his conscience was not nearly in as good a shape then as it had been in the cave with Saul years before. So I, I don't think his conscience was dead because when the prophet came to him, uh, his conscience was quickly smitten and brought back into line. But it was dulled and it was not, if something was out of balance there. And actually the conscience can get out of balance 
pretty badly out of balance. And in and, two and extremes, one is uh, we read about this in uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. He speaks about people speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own constant fear with a hot iron. And, and the word there, fear, is describing cauterizing, like uh, with, a, with something very hot that would fear the burn the nerves and deaden the nerves, and so they're insensitive and don't feel. And said so that's how a conscience can get. I knew of a child that some years ago, uh, I, in studying for this, I was thinking of, I should check again and see how that's working, but this child years ago um, felt a little pain. And um, she came against something hot enough one time that it left a blister, and she didn't even feel it. And her parents didn't notice it at first until she started getting a little older, older and getting around, crawling around, and bumping into things and whatever. And when she needed discipline, uh, you know, um, a wrap on the knuckles or fingers hand or something. She could sense that her parents weren't happy, that they were disapproving, but it didn't hurt. And that's not good. And lepers, you know, have that problem that most of the damage I've read uh, through lepers with fingers and toes and so on is by not sensing pain when they're injured or burn some way or something. But when a healthy conscience is violated or a person chooses against or responds in a way that the conscience tells them, hey, that is, it's wrong to be mad like that. Um, when the conscience is violated, a healthy conscience, there's pain, there's discomfort. One that's dead there is no no inner pause or discomfort in their pursuit of sin. They're okay. No worries. And they're making very wrong choices and even very harmful choices. And at the end of it, we know from the Bible that there's judgment. I believe there will be people in hell who died with an easy conscience as very sober. The psalmist Asaph in Psalm 73 talked about evil people whose lives he had watched and even he watched them die. He said in Psalm 73, For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They seem to be fine. They don't appear to be bothered. But we know that after they die, reality will hit and they'll know they're guilty. But at, and at that point, it's too late to make any adjustments to their conscience or to their life. So a feared conscience 
one that's okay with sin and is not sensitive to right and wrong, sin, holiness. That's one extreme. Another one is an overly sensitive conscience, a person bothered with guilt and doubt, a lack of assurance for their own salvation, and often they aren't able to put their finger on anything exactly that's wrong, but they have these questions, is God really first in my life? Do I really love Him truly? Am I, am I so, as surrendered as I should be? Am I doing what He wants? Am I doing enough of what He wants? And those are all good questions. They're important questions. But sometimes people really struggle to find peace. And it's not funny. Uh, it is serious. Um, or they may be uh, overly concerned about things that aren't really so important. Sometimes uh, people get in this, um, they feeling this way because they have, they're focusing too much on themselves, too much on their own flaws, and aren't focusing enough on the blood of Jesus to cleanse and forgive a repentant heart from all sin. Or it can be um, unbalanced because it hasn't been instructed. Or it lacks understanding. In First Corinthians 8 through 10 and in Romans chapter 14, it speaks about people like that with weak consciences because they're not fully educated. Uh, Paul said they're not to accommodate sin, but. Uh, the things that were formerly unclean now are not unclean, and it's not an issue now. But it was a struggle for some of them, many of them maybe, to work through that lead off of to idols issue. There's a verse in First John, a couple of verses. Um, by this we know that we're of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. But, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we are confident toward God. And so he's describing here somebody who has a good conscience, and it's clear before God, and He's at peace before God. That's a good place to be. But if you're not, if your if your conscience, if your heart is bothering you, you're not sure why. That's an uncomfortable place to be. He acknowledges, but appeal to God, pray to God. He knows your heart, and appeal to Him for the truth to uh, understand about ourselves and to. Help you know, is there something wrong or am I okay? That's, uh, that's a good prayer. But just a little warning that, uh, you know, in an airplane, a good pilot who has a warning flash, uh, a, a, 
warning light going off on his, uh, the dash of his, or his instrument panel, he will not ignore that and say, well, it's probably just some little glitch and ignore it. And the same with our conscience. Uh, we shouldn't just say, yeah, I'm probably just a little confused. I'll uh, feel better here after a while. Try to ignore it. That's not good either. We should really pray about it. And, and maybe there is something that needs some attention. Could be. So, uh, from this uh, section, I, I think we can conclude there are three groups of people, three categories. There's one category that knows their status. Their conscience is working and it's in reasonably good shape, and they know their status. The guilty know they're guilty and that they really need to repent and find forgiveness. And the innocent know that they're innocent and they're at peace and their conscience is healthy and they're followed. So that's one category, those who know their status. And then there are the guilty who think they're innocent, who think they're okay. They need conviction. And there are the innocents who fear that they're guilty, and they need assurance. And, and the Holy Spirit can minister to any of those categories of people. And we need to pray that He ministers to us where we are. So, this emphasizes that uh, the conscience needs maintenance. It needs nurture, it needs education, and God has given us the conscience as part of the guidance system. And we want to take good care of it and uh, not ignore it if it's going off. I want to think a little bit here yet about educating the conscience and calibrating the conscience. We're uh, talking about the finely tuned conscience. So I want to look at several, I think four, uh, four tools, four things that we use to uh, help keep our conscience in good shape. One is the Holy Spirit, which we've already talked about a little bit. It converts our heart. It teaches us. You know how in the Old Testament, uh, Israel had the sacrificial system. That's why Abraham here on this tray uh, was offered sacrifices for a lot of his life. And uh, it was symbolic for uh, of what was coming. But Paul said, or rather, in Hebrews 9, I think it's Paul, but in Hebrews 9, it says that those gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service, who offered the sacrifice, cannot make him perfect 
in regard to the conscience. It doesn't fix the conscience. It couldn't solve the conscience problem. It couldn't really cleanse the inner man. There was still guilt and condemnation, still knowing that that sin is there. But, in verse 12, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of the creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So what animal offering? sacrifices could never do. Christ did. He cleansed completely and renewed and converted the inner man and he clears the conscience. That's part of the joy of salvation. Sins forgiven, whether at the new birth or any point in our life after we, in our Christian life when we sin and our conscience bothers us Spirit convicts us, and we repent. And uh, the uh, the peace of a cleansed conscience is a is a wonderful joy. And the the Holy Spirit also teaches. When the Spirit of Truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. That Jesus. The second uh, tool is the Word of God, the Bible. Now, the purpose of the commandment, 1 Timothy 1.5, is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And what was the commandment? To teach and learn sound doctrines, avoiding fables, and so on. He said the goal is to love God out of a pure heart and a clear conscience. So the Word of God, um, Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full aged, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So the unskilled in the word, uh, they're dull of hearing, they're using milk, they're immature, and they're lacking development. But the mature and those who can eat and digest 
and benefit from the nutrition of strong meat are skillful in the Word. So they read the Bible and they pray, God, show me what this is saying. And their senses and their conscience are exercised to discern good and evil. They learn what is right and wrong and what is good, better, best. And uh, I remember Brian uh, was preaching here one time. And he said that he used to think there were a lot of gray areas. But as he's growing older, he's finding there are fewer than he used to think. So I think there's something that's developing in him, that developed in him, uh, making uh, right choices uh, in light of God's Word. And what we believe, what we think, affects our conscience, which will affect how we live, how we act, when we find a lost billfold with a big lot of cash. What are we going to do with it? We know. Uh, when we pass the magazine rack, where are we going to look? We know. When we're mistreated, how will we respond? We know how we should respond. So the Bible is uh, another important piece. And another one is by thinking correctly, by uh, there's two parts to the conscience. One is guidance, and the other is rebuke. And uh, when we follow the guidance, when we obey the guidance, when we uh, live a life that we uh, do like Paul did, and give careful attention to doing the right thing, uh, always striving to have a conscience without offense toward God and man then he's going to follow that guidance of his conscience and that strengthens his conscience. Uh, and when we don't do when when the, when we don't do well and our conscience rebukes us and tells us we did wrong, we know we did wrong and makes us solid, miserable we know what we need to do next. We need to repent, and sometimes we need to go and tell someone we're sorry. But if we choose wrong and let it go, it weakens our conscience, it soils our character, and it tends to be less accurate in how it guides us, and we can tend to drift away from godliness. But when we do right responses and confess when we don't that strengthens our conscience. It keeps it healthy and directs us toward a godly life and a godly character and to eternal life. Uh, the fourth one is a Christian fellowship. Beware, brethren, Hebrews 3, verse 12 13. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief 
in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So, people together, exhorting one another, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened and deceived by sin, the conscience get out of whack, the spirit is hindered, and it's work. The other one is also from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling, the assembling of yourselves together, ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see the day approaching. Being around good people is an inspiration and encouragement and can help us a lot in uh, developing our own conscience and maintaining our own conscience. Do not be deceived, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Evil company corrupts good habits. Let me tell you about John. John was a friend of mine uh, who I was in service with, and he was from uh, Nebraska, I think. And his youth group was kind of rowdy, and he uh, got into some things that weren't good. And um, he came to service uh, there at Poplar Hill, and uh, he helped on the maintenance crew, and he. Uh, took care of fires. At night, he would go around to the gym, to the dorm, and to the school, and maybe there were a couple of other buildings, and go into the basement and throw wood in the furnace. And he probably made two, maybe more rounds when it was cold. But uh, he did, was doing okay. And then he went home uh, one winter. I think it was over Christmas for a couple of weeks or so. And he came back and he seemed a little different. He didn't seem quite, he seemed like something was bothering him. And one evening I was in the dorm kitchen. Well, it was one night, the boys were in bed. And, uh, <coughs> And he came in making uh, an early round with the fires. And he said, you know, uh, I've been kind of struggling. And the other night, I was going around the fires. And I was in the gym basement. And I was kind of troubled and thinking about things. Because when I went home, I got with the youth group and some of the people that I've been running around with, and I made some bad choices, and, and I, it just didn't go well, and it's been kind of bothering me. And I was putting wood in the fire. There were four foot uh, pieces of spruce logs that they soaked that big furnace up with, and he was kind of messing around. He said the fire was pretty hot, and he stuck a 
a log in and just left it there he was holding the end of it. And then it started to burn and quickly because it was pretty flammable and the fire was quite hot. And then he pulled it back out. The fire went out. The smoke went out. The fire was long. He stuffed it back in and just lit right back up again. And so he did that several times just messing around. Then he thought, that's me. That's how I am. When I'm here, when I'm with people that are serving the Lord, then I, that helps me and I do better. But when I get away, I'm not doing well. So he saw that as a challenge for himself. And he told that story um, a few years ago. We were at a reunion. He told that story. And thanked the staff for the encouragement that they had been to him. So, just saying that Christian fellowship uh, is important. It's something God intended for us to have and benefit from. Now, that's not always possible. John uh, was on an island alone uh, with the Lord, but the Lord met his needs. So, we have a guidance system, and we want to have a guidance system. We want to have a conscience that is sensitive and that is, that is calibrated right, is healthy, and uh, sensitive. We don't want to be where we're living and making choices that grieve the Holy Spirit. And we're not grieving. And we're okay. We feel okay. We're not bothered. But the Spirit sees us and knows our hearts and is grieving. That is not where we want to be. We want to be where, when the Spirit grieves, we're grieving too. So we have some responsibility to maintenance. And God has provided uh, some tools for us to help us. And it's a blessing that he did. The Holy Spirit that illuminates our hearts and works in our hearts. God's Word, we need to spend time to it, with it. Uh, we need to uh, respond properly and obey the Spirit. And we need Christian fellowship. So, uh, I think Paul had a pretty good, uh, I don't think that's how he would get the only thing he would say. He said he fought a good fight and so on. But this was an important goal in Paul's life. I always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. I think that's a good goal for all of us. So may God bless us and, uh, and guide us as we do our part to keep and follow a well-tuned and effective conscience that God has blessed us with.